Today on the show, sometimes in the world of missions, our best efforts to help those in need can actually hurt. But has that become an excuse to do nothing? Let's have the courage to say, even if people are still funding it, if we know it is not working, we have the courage to change because love demands that. Like loving the families that we serve, caring about this work that we're doing around the world, it requires us to have our eyes open. Peter Greer, president of Hope International, joins. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kogman, Director of Advancement and Communications with ABWE. Today is a special episode. I'm flying solo. Um, I'm sorry to all of you fans of my partner in crime here, Scott W. Dunford. Scott is tied up in church staff meetings today. He'll be back on the show next week. But I am joined in person in studio here by someone else that we'll introduce in just a moment. But first, before we dive in, if this show has ever been a blessing to you or is a blessing to you today, we invite your support at missionspodcast.com support. We also want you to be able to subscribe. You can do that on our website. You can get video and audio versions of the show. Uh, but the best way that you can pay it forward is by giving a positive rating and review for the show in your podcast platform of choice. That really does help get this content out in front of others who can be blessed by it. And we say that all the time, but it is true. It does help serve up those recommendations. The algorithms favor us, and we're grateful whenever that happens, whenever we can appease them. Um, And before we introduce our guest as well, also want to mention to you, A holiday that most of us as Christians don't often think about is actually the day of Pentecost, right? We think about Christmas, we think about Easter, we think about all sorts of things. But this Pentecost, which is coming up May 5th this year, uh, is a global day of prayer for church planting. Now, ABWE, uh, the organization that sponsors and powers the Missions Podcast, is partnering with Stadia, which is an organization focused on church planting, uh, as well as one of ABWE's ministries, Every Ethne, focused on all of the ways that we can multiply churches and leaders in the U.S. and in North America here. Every Ethne, ABWE, and Stadia are working together on this global day of prayer for church planting. Now, if you want to get involved in that, we would invite you. There's no ask. There's no fundraising piece here. This is not any kind of plan to to promote any other agenda. The goal is simply to mobilize prayer. So in the U.S. alone, 4,000 churches closed in 2019. I don't know what the pandemic did to those numbers, but it certainly didn't help those numbers. We believe in the local church. You believe in the local church. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to the Missions Podcast today. And so we invite you to join us for that. You can do so at dopray.church. That's D-O-P-R-A-Y dot church. Day of prayer. Do pray is sort of what's going on there. But we invite you to join us for that. Again, there's no strings attached to that. We're simply trying to mobilize a movement of prayer and recognize that on Pentecost, the day that the church began, uh, is the day that we also want to seek the Lord for his blessing as churches continue to be planted worldwide. But we're here on the Missions Podcast today with my new friend, Peter Greer, who is actually down the road from us here at ABWE, our headquarters here in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And we'll introduce Peter in just a moment here. This is the show that helps goers think and thinkers go. And we're going to talk about both of those pieces here today. Now, Peter, you are president of Hope International, which is based not too far from us in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 
the first time that I heard you speak was actually at an old church that I was on staff at and you had visited there. And then you came to ABWE's headquarters today to present a little bit about Hope International. And we've got a mutual friend. One of your finance people is also my neighbor. So I feel like I know a lot more about Hope International. Um, but I also think that Hope International is kind of one of these best kept secrets and we were talking about that over lunch, right, Peter, that there's multiple organizations kind of in our backyard here. And we just we maybe we don't know about them. Maybe we don't talk about each other enough. And so with all of that said, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about hope? Yeah, thanks, Alex. And I, I like that introduction of new friend. That's how I feel as well. So good to be here today. Well, you've still got the rest of the interview, so we'll see. <laughs> no, it's so good. So good. So good. And I've loved, yeah, just at this time at ABWE and learning more about the the incredible global work uh, that is happening. And so, as you said, I work for Hope International and we're a global Christ-centered organization based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, but serving in seven countries and initially founded in Zaporozhye, Ukraine, but then expanded throughout Eastern Europe and then Asia, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa and Latin America as well. Um, so that's that's kind of our footprint and trying to figure out how do we bring the good news of Jesus and jobs to communities mm. uh, that are in poverty around the world. Mm. So that's our that's our mission, and we do it through uh, church-based savings groups. Um, and maybe we could talk a little bit more about that. That my guess is not everyone is familiar with what that means. And then no. also Christ Center microfinance institutions, and, and then also helping entrepreneurs scale through small and medium enterprises as well. But really, at its core, it's the hope of Jesus mm. and jobs uh, for communities in poverty that build the church and allow families to provide for themselves. So on our show, we usually talk about theology and missions. And I've joked with people in the past that I got into ministry because I didn't like math. And then here's the darn thing that happens when you get into, especially the parachurch world or, or the church world, there's still math involved and there's still numbers and there's still even sometimes money involved. And so it's exciting that you understand all of those things, because I think that's kind of a necessary evil in the perspective of a lot of pastors and people that are maybe studying to be in ministry, even for missionaries. Money seems like a necessary evil. So excited to get into your passion with microfinance and, and all the sorts of things that you're involved in. But one thing that I learned recently from my neighbor is that Hope International started in Ukraine. And so you guys are involved in, in providing relief. Can you talk to us a little bit about that in light of what's happening in the news? Yeah, absolutely. So it really was a, a, a trip uh, from a church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, that wanted to respond after the fall of the Soviet Union. And mm. that was a time of incredible need and aid was required. And so this church said, let's do something. So they started sending food and supplies had a sister church relationship and ended up building a church building and providing food and so much more. And it was good. But after a couple of years of that, the uh, individual that was receiving the aid, his name was Pastor Petrenko. And he said, your aid isn't actually helping anymore. Hmm. Isn't there a way that you can help us help ourselves? And that conversation really shifted the model. And uh, what we find, not just in Ukraine, but aid is always good and needed in short term um, and long term. It has some unintended consequences. Yeah, kind of can create systems of dependency and and um, and 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 reliance on someone else, and a lot of other challenges that have been yeah. well documented. Yeah, and so really that conversation shifted from a model and said, "What does it look like for us to help create jobs so that individuals can have their own instead of us." sending over flour, what would it take to help them grow their own uh, flour? Mm. What does that look like? And so that's really been the journey of, of Hope International. But as you said, that uh, many ways, um, it feels 
I mean, heartbreaking right now to see what's happening in Ukraine mm-hmm. right now and to realize that we are back in a situation where for the current moment, aid is what is required. Mm-hmm. As the invasion continues, as communities are, are heard, as there is indiscriminate shelling um, in civilian areas. I was on a call with our leadership team last week and you know the call abruptly ended because the air raid sirens were going off and I'm on video and I'm watching the parents uh, grab their kids and run down to the basement to the bomb shelter um, as they were uh, thinking that their community was going to be hit again. Um, so that is what they are mm-hmm. living in. But uh, for us, our organization, while we are helping with some short-term aid, uh, our model, our mission, um, the minute that there is peace, uh, we are going to be there helping Ukraine rebuild we're partnering with churches, and we're going to be helping equip those entrepreneurs that are going to be ready to get back into farming, get back into construction, get back into small enterprise. And I really think that followers of Jesus are once again going to be at the forefront of helping a nation rebuild. Yeah. And and, and just to hit pause on some of this, because we've had a few podcast interviews on Ukraine, and I get it. People are jaded. They're jaded by corporate media. They're jaded by all of the untrustworthy government figures. And and I know people are even suspicious of what's happening in the war efforts. And, and without getting into any of that, we can't let ourselves become apathetic to the real human suffering happening in Ukraine and understanding also that really is kind of the Bible belt of Eastern Europe. And there's so many believers and national churches and missionaries, but national Ukrainian believers and, and others that are doing incredible ministry work. And we do want to support them through our prayers and through other means Uh, And we've talked about that on the show before. And if you're new to the show, you can go back in your feed and scroll through and find out about some of the ways that you can be involved in that. But grateful for the work that you're doing there. So let's shift and let's talk about Hope International, the financial piece, the the micro enterprise, all of what you're trying to do to alleviate poverty. And you've already alluded to the ways that that can be done wrong. So tell us, what is your model or or models and how does that work? Yeah. So maybe it starts with a a couple worldview uh, pieces and then getting into the yeah. practical. But some of our worldview pieces are just because someone is in poverty does not mean that they are poor, lazy, or incapable. Mm. Um, and we actually, a few years ago, were, had a mission statement that said to invest in the dreams of the poor as we proclaim and live the gospel. And so mm. that's what we're doing. Had our team in uh, the Republic of Congo um, that was going through, they were going to put that mission statement on the wall Um and one of our leaders in Congo said, we cannot put that mission statement on the wall. Hmm. I said, why? What's, what's the problem? This is, we, we, this is our mission. This is what we do. <laughs> he said, we cannot talk about the people that we serve as the poor. That is not mm. how we want to see them. That is not how, uh, that, that, that's, that's actually perpetuating the problem, that, that they would yeah. be defined by their challenge. Uh, so we changed it. Uh, we invest in the dreams of families <laughs> as we proclaim and live the gospel in yeah. the world's underserved communities. And so for us, just that fundamental piece of we believe that people are created in the image of God with gifts and abilities. And for too long, the lie of poverty has been they don't have what it takes. And for too long, the messages that have been told in the West is we've got to show up and do for them what they are not capable of doing for themselves. And yeah. I do not believe that. I think there is so much capacity. And if those individuals were born uh, here, and if we were born there, I guarantee our lives would be very similar to the yeah. kind of transposed uh, situation. So really starting from this place of capacity and dignity and worth. And then that leads to a different intervention, which is 
What do you have in your hands and what are the obstacles or barriers that are not allowing you to flourish, not allowing you to provide for your families? And most of the time, it is certainly kind of questions about, do I have what it takes? Do I have the capacity? And I think the gospel is a very clear answer uh, to that, believing that you Mm. are created in the image of God Almighty. That is incredible. And then saying, and what is in your hands? What gifts, what abilities, what dreams do you have? And then for us to walk alongside families. And so our programmatic intervention flows from that, that it is a group-based approach. It is allowing individuals to come together where they support each other. They start uh, really like a small group. They go through these five W's of welcome, worship, word, work, and wrap up. And as part of that methodology, they're not just praying for each other, they're not just supporting each other, but then they're also receiving capital so they can start or expand a small business. So again, if we're in a small group and we recruit uh, 20 of our friends and we gather together, we don't have to convince Hope International that we are a great entrepreneur with a business idea. We have to convince our group that we have the idea and it's our group that really is going to make the Mm -hmm. investment decision about what it is. So Maybe you're going to start raising goats. Uh, Maybe I'm going to start with a small restaurant and uh, we're going to be... With your partner, I can provide you with goat. (laughs) See, that's exactly what happens though. I love that example. I love that comment, Alex, because that's exactly what happens. Then we're on the same team. We're on the same page. And as a community, we're going to be working together. um, And yeah, it's just so fun. So this is cool. So uh, when we were talking before we started recording, you you were telling us about these savings groups. So specifically, you know, how many people would be in a normal group? Yeah. 15 to 25, 15 to 25. Okay. So, so not quite a small group, you know, it's a decently sized group. There's some momentum there. There's some critical mass and each person is bringing with them to the group meeting, what a dollar a week that they're saving roughly. It is completely up to them. So oftentimes as groups are starting, it is a dollar or less. And where does that go? So essentially in the base methodology, it means if there's 20 individuals, we each bring a dollar every week when we gather, we have $20. And then that $20 goes to one of the group members. And then that group member uh, uses that money to start or expand a small business. And then next week, it's someone else's turn. And then the third week, it's the third person's turn. But over 20 weeks, everyone has contributed $20 and everyone has received $20. Mm. And maybe you're thinking, what's the big deal? Why not just save? Well, the reality is when you're in a group setting um, and uh, that first person to get that amount, $20 is much more valuable than a dollar a week for 20 weeks. That dollar can be lost. It can be sent on something. This creates a system of accountability, of rigor, of structure, so that that $20 is much more valuable because of what it can do than a dollar a week. So again, you can't buy a goat for a dollar. You can buy a goat if you have that larger amount of capital. So it's 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 pooling capital. So it's that lump sum that can be used to start or expand a business within a context of community. And again, really rooted in discipleship and prayer and support uh, that the group members provide each other. And to be clear as well, a lot of our listeners are discerners. That's their mindset. So because of that model, that doesn't necessarily mean that you as Hope International or, or as American entrepreneurs or donors are just pumping directly money to, to nationals. There's, there's money in the country. There's money in that community that's being mobilized and redirected, right? Absolutely. And I think that really, you hit on a really interesting point. We think there is capital, expertise, and wisdom 
that is that is hidden in these communities. And again, for a long time, the model was let's go in, solve problems, let's go in, provide capital, let's go in, let's figure out what we can do for them. And again, it's all from a good heart. It's from a good intention, but too often it misses the capacity, the creativity, um, and the capital that individuals in these communities happen. And the other thing that I find so interesting is the groups don't stay at a dollar. They, they, they end up mm. growing and having more. And I was with a group of women in Rwanda, and they were so proud of what they had done. Um, they started, actually in that group, it was 23 women. They started with less than 10 cents wow. that they were saving together. But when I was with them, they had started some group businesses that were flourishing. Um, they were providing, they uh, bought these mills and then were making flowers and had bought a truck to do delivery throughout Rwanda. And they wanted me to ride in their truck and show me what they had done. And I'm riding in the truck. And the first stop was they wanted to stop at the church that they had built with the money that they had created. And and so to me, again, I just, for too long going on mission trips, it was always, what can we bring to them right. instead of what's already there? What do they have? And then to really cheer them on, support, and uh, in my mind, create some systems that that help them remove some of the barriers and then watch them not walk, uh, watch them run in, in, in changing their communities, their families, and their churches. So that's critical. And I think there's so much, we could obviously spend all day talking about that. But how does the gospel inform that? I think you've already talked about the ways that it informs your approach. You're seeing people in the image of God. They have dignity, right? And obviously you want to see many of these people come to Christ. You want to see conduits for missions to happen. Uh, but practically speaking, where does the gospel proclamation fit into those groups, into that process? Yeah, we try to keep everything as simple as possible It's good. Hope International. So yeah. I can tell you there's three components on it. It's who we are how we work and how we serve the church as the three elements. So the first, mm. who we are, uh, we recruit individuals that have the head of a banker and the heart of a missionary. Mm. Um, and not having that is an either or question. We have individuals mm, yeah. that, that, uh, that are all about uh, reaching the world with the good news of Jesus Christ and have an expertise in finance and banking and systems. And, and so very much maybe an odd uh, part of the global body of really that head and heart of, of, yeah. of banking. Yeah, I was going to say, that is, and, not the, that is not the majority of people. Right, yeah. so right. When yeah. you find some of those, send some our way. You know, that's, that's good. We need more of that. That's great. And I love that there actually is a growing conversation, I feel like, of of the body of Christ, of all gifts mm. uh, being needed, all having a place. And for too often... The entrepreneurial business finance uh, has been uh, maybe not fully appreciated for not just the financial contributions, but the expertise yeah. uh, in global missions. So I love that we are a place uh, where those individuals uh, join and advance. And so that's kind of who we are. Um, the second piece is how we work, and that's our operating model. So every time that these groups gather, it is not just about the financial um, piece. It's not just about the loans and savings and investment and business training. But as I mentioned, these five W's, it looks very similar to what my small group does. Uh, we are praying for each other. We are supporting each other. And a model, uh, we start with uh, oftentimes the book of John, um, reading through scripture at every single time we gather and having a simple obedience-based uh, approach to scripture of reading it, retelling it and then saying, and how do we obey that this week mm -hmm. um, as a way of engaging with scripture um, when when the groups gather? 
And then also how we serve the church. Uh, we want this to be done in such a way that people don't know Hope International, but they see this as the way that their local church is reaching their community. And so the savings group, they don't say, wow, look at what this international NGO is doing. Look what this global missions organization is doing. They say, look at what my local church is doing to not wait for people to come into the church, but for the church to go into the marketplace, to equip, to serve, and to connect uh, with the local church. So that's our model, mm. uh, who we are, how we work in our operations, and then how we serve the church. Yeah, so n- not to get too autobiographical here, but actually I think my very first exposure to Hope International, and this is going to mean nothing to anyone that doesn't live in this area, so this is terrible podcasting. If you if you have a podcast, never do this, because this is how you lose all of your audience. Uh, but I lived in a Keystone home for a number of years, so the relationship between Keystone Custom Homes and Hope International, which is cool. So you're not just connected with other businesses on the mission field, but here in the States as well. And there's partnerships there that are lifting up new startups across the world, right? Yeah. And I think the example of Keystone is a is an incredible one that here is an entrepreneur yeah, that had a builder. heart for missions, um, had a successful home building company and said, how can I use this company to advance global missions, both local and global missions? And part of that was responding to the crisis in Ukraine yeah. in the early uh, 1990s that led to the creation of Hope International. So I don't think that's a local story. I, I think that's yeah. a story of a business yeah. leader saying, what's in my hands and how can I use it in advancing God's good, redemptive work in our world? Yeah. Well, let's turn. You okay with turning? Let, let's let's pivot a little bit. Um when Helping Hurts, Brian Fickert, that is a book. You provided one of the endorsements, I believe, to that. And uh, the message of that book, for those that haven't read it, is essentially this idea, which I think we're all starting to grasp almost intuitively. In fact, there's a copy of it there on my shelf, uh, is that there are times when pumping money into overseas projects can hurt more than it helps, right? It's the teaching a person to fish versus giving them uh, a fish, all, all of that, right? That, that That's, you know... a, a Big oversimplification, but that's the basic thesis. I think you've mixed messages about that message and that thesis, that idea. Talk talk to us about how you approach people who've read that book and how that plays into your ministry. Yeah, I am. I mean, it has been incredible to watch the way that that book has raised awareness and eyes that good intentions do not always lead to good results. And to think about poverty in a in a broader context, um, and that book has done a brilliant job opening up uh, so many churches to examine, hey, what is it that we do? Um, I was joking with with Brian, and um, after the book came out, of of uh, encouraging him to say, Brian, please, as quickly as possible write the sequel, When Helping Helps, because otherwise some people, um, and I do not think this is the way the book was uh, written, but some people took that as actually an excuse for less action. They they actually use that to say, well, if our help is hurting, then we better do nothing at all. And that's not the point of the book, but unfortunately that is how some interpreted it. So yeah. And that's, the, and that's just our sinful heart. That's not Brian's fault. Absolutely. <laughs> that's us. We'll just take any immediate argument for, for inaction. Right. Right. And I love kind of the invitation that I think there is, which is a recognition of not all helping helps. So then the option is let's reexamine, let's re-explore um, but our mission is the same. It, th- this this is in no way saying, well, let's just take a backseat and 
and all that. So let's get, let's change our approach. Let's think more creatively. Let's be willing as a church and as a missions uh, kind of broader sector to say, we have made mistakes. We have had programs mm-hmm. that actually hurt the people. And let's have the courage to say, even if people are still funding it, if we know it is not working, we have the courage to change because love demands that. Like loving the families that we serve, caring about this work that we're doing around the world, it requires us to have our eyes open. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, that's that's the one piece that I, I just, I yeah. love to go on is, yeah. So if you recognize some of what you've done have not had the intended positive outcome. Let's shift, let's adjust, let's change, and let's have the courage to say this didn't work and the courage to say, and what can we do to shape a different approach? And yeah. I love how really part of that invitation is saying, let's listen more to the people that we serve. Let's listen more to the global church. Let's listen more to the communities where we serve and let's do less, uh, designing programs with a very significant proximity gap. Let's do everything possible to listen well to the people in the places where we serve as we continue to learn, grow, change, adapt, and figure out what it looks like to go and make disciples of all nations. Mm. That's good for all of our listeners because there's ways in which we're all apathetic in one category of our lives or another. So I, I think we all need to hear that and realize just because something can be done wrongly doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done. Right. The the abuse of something doesn't argue against its use, you know, and, and helping the poor is is a part of missions. Uh, missions is many other things. It's evangelism. It's church planting. But caring for the least of these is a part of that um, unavoidably. So this is a, a challenge. And, and you've written a book on this. You've written about 10 uh, or co-written about 10 books uh, in various ways. Uh, but but it is a challenge when you're in ministry and when you're in missions is that everything does look good. Everything looks appealing. And so it's really hard to say no to anything, right? Because everything is an opportunity to love neighbor, to proclaim Jesus. And so you, you drift, you drift off course, you drift off mission, and you've written a book on mission drift. And so uh, I, I think for a lot of us, we're probably coming into this conversation thinking, you know, I, I've, I'm serving in ministry, or maybe I'm studying in seminary, uh, maybe I'm already serving on the mission field. And so in theory, yes, I've got my mission, but in practicality, uh, in, in reality, I've, I've drifted from it in some ways. I, I don't feel as though everything that I'm doing is aiming in one singular direction. So how would you define that kind of mission drift? How would you encourage and counsel someone to escape that? Mm. Yeah, you know, so the the book was written really because uh, we wanted to figure out how do we make sure Hope International does not drift? Yeah. There was a proactive large, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. and, and really looking at those organizations that have been at this a long time and yet kept the vibrancy of mission. Mm. And we found some amazing examples, both in the positive category and in the, they are no longer recognizable uh, for what their core mission was, Mm. but two components to it. If you want to summarize all that we learned uh, on that. And the first is clarity of mission. And then the second is intentionality of practice. So clarity of mission, what is it? Um, and, And being really clear that there's a difference between the means that you use to accomplish your mission and what your mission actually is. There's some people that have taken mission mm. drift as an argument against change and the world is changing and, and we got to figure out what's the most effective means to implement the mission. Um, so it's not an argument against change. It's an argument of saying, let's define the mission um, and then let's make sure where there is a very clear delineation between this is how we accomplish that mission 
And this is what our mission actually is. And then the second piece is intentionality of practice, connecting that mission to the small decisions that we make. And when it comes to mission drift, there's just the reason why we love the word drift is because it just, it seems to just happen. It's the small, seemingly insignificant decisions that are compounded by time. And those currents inevitably lead us to a very different destination from where we start. So it's really saying, let's get out our oars, let's row against that drift, and let's make sure we know who we are. Let's make sure we know why we exist, and let's connect that to the day-to-day decisions that we make. Mm -hmm. So for that individual that feels like, I'm starting to drift, a very simple exercise. (laughs) Let's go back to the base. Let's go back to what is your core mission. And that's true at an organizational level as well as a personal level. Uh, mission level. What is at the core? What what is most important? What are those things that you would rather shut down the organization than lose or compromise on? Mm. What's there? And then and then figure out how you advance and protect it. There's a real simple uh, thing. If you go to missiondrift.com, we have a free download of a workbook if anyone's interested, where you can kind of do some self-assessment and organizational assessment, um, as well as a real simple survey to identify kind of where are the areas that you might be most prone to drift as well. So Mm. missiondrift.com, free download if anyone's interested. That's helpful. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day along these lines talking about drift and, you know, you, you use the analogy of, of oars in a rowboat. Um, in our conversation, we were using the analogy of driving on the highway. And the reality is, is you're always keeping your hands on the wheel and there's always a, a hundred little micro uh, adjustments and compensations for, for the curve of the ro- road that you're making. Uh, if, if your hands are off the wheel, that's when you're swerving and you have to make a major correction. If you're keeping your hands on the wheel, you're not making major corrections, you're making minor corrections. Uh, and I think it's the same for all of us. We have to be always returning to that. One of the reasons we do the missions podcast is because we've found that there's this rift between sound biblical teaching doctrine, the things that we kind of cherish uh, here in in North America, we're just privileged to have a lot of knowledge, frankly. Uh, but but also we stand on the shoulders of, of 2000 years worth of Christian teaching and creeds, confessions, all sorts of things that have been you know laid out there for us. Uh, and yet then you get onto the mission field and either what we do is we we deconstruct so much while we're contextualizing that what we end up serving up is overly simplified and we're not actually nourishing those that we're ministering to with the full counsel of God's word. Uh, or we're, we're finding ourselves that, that we try to divest ourselves of that as much as possible. And we're, we're not using those resources. We're not availing ourselves of what God has given us. Uh, and so that's one area where frankly, Scott and I, we've observed drift in the church in our own lives. And we want to bring correction to that and help goers think and thinkers go. That's why we're doing this here. And so kind of bring it full circle a little bit with, you know, correcting the ultimate mission drift, which might be doctrinal drift that's going to affect everything else downstream. Uh, You shared the importance of the idea of the Imago Dei, the image of God and your view of, of the poor and how we're going to define people. We're going to define people by their identity in some way that's about their, their victim status or their socioeconomic status, or we're we going to define people the way scripture defines them. So your anthropology, you know, to use a big word, right, is is critical at, at Hope International that frames how you view people made in the image of God. Um, but what maybe in addition to that, or maybe you just want to double down on that, what would be something critical that you're holding to as a teaching, as a biblical standard that helps you in your mission, in the day to day that you're always keeping in front of you? Uh, that drives everything the way that you do, kind of your hands on the wheel, holding on to that to make sure that we're not making major corrections later because we're staying on the road with that teaching. And I think that's a great analogy. That's it. What are those constant pieces uh, that we're coming back to? And there's some real practical things that we've done as an organization to say, let's make sure that's not 
our story, um, cataloging, creating regular habits and patterns of celebration and recognition of who we are and why we exist. Um, and there's a lot uh, that we could go there. But in terms of like underlying um, kind of core convictions and belief, um, I grew up at a, in a, in a church um, that I thought was, was fantastic at Matthew 28. Um, it was to go and make disciples of all nations. And there was clarity around that. Mm. Um, and Matthew 25, um, the parable of the sheep and the goats and welcoming the foreigner and the hungry. And, and I think what I've seen is too many people can tend to say, can view that as an either or, mm. um, is it Matthew 25 or is it Matthew 28? And same book. And maybe it's so close together and you can, yeah. you can look and that's just one example. Yeah. Um, there are so many other examples throughout scripture. And I think it's impossible to read scripture without saying, this is really good news. We want the world to know yeah. uh, Jesus. Like that is really, really good news. And, and there is this refrain uh, also woven throughout scripture that our actions, especially to the marginalized, especially to the vulnerable, that matters uh, mm. to God. And you can do Old Testament prophets. Uh, you can go to Old Testament laws. You can go to the church. You can look at when Peter and uh, Paul were separating ways. The last recorded conversation we have of them is that they just remember the poor. Um, and that was exactly what but they said, as we are going and sharing this good news of Jesus, please don't forget the poor. And then Paul responds, that's the very thing that I was eager yeah, to Galatians do. Galatians 1. Yeah. And so to me, it's just like this false dichotomy that the church, I believe, has lost some credibility over, mm. that it has been our words without our care for the most vulnerable or our care for the most vulnerable without sharing the transforming message of Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. I just think kind of the anchor, U.S. kind of anchor theology of hope, it's like that's not an either-or question. It's yeah. as we are going, um, that's what we want to be about. Um, so, yeah, not seeing it as multiple choice, but always kind of the bottom answer of all of the above. Mm. Uh, let's be about that. Yeah, we totally agree with that. Well, appreciate your time here today, Peter, and uh, just give you a chance right now. How can people hear more from you, from Hope International? Um, you, you shared about Mission Drift, but... Anything else you want to plug or, or maybe your work in Ukraine? I um, want to invite you to share that with our audience. I so appreciate that. And I would just say uh, three things just real quick. Um, one is at Hope International, I love our posture, which is it's about the kingdom, not our particular club or organization. And so everything that we have is open source. So if anything that we have might be helpful, I can go to hopeinternational.org slash resources. And it's just a place that we put kind of open source everything that we have that might be helpful for anyone that's interested in economic development and missions uh, or anything there. So anything that we could try to do to help. Uh, second piece is uh, I, I have been, I, I do love writing with friends. We have a book that releases on April 13th uh, called The Gift of Disillusionment. And um, you can see more information there if you go to peterkgreer.com, just an information for more of the writing. But April 13th, that releases, and it's really how do we find enduring hope when idealism fades? Um, mm. And then the third kind of piece uh, is on Ukraine. If you just go to hopeinternational.org, um, there certainly is more information there. But um, yeah, but beyond all that, just so enormously grateful for this conversation and to be part of a global body 
uh, that is trying to figure out how do we love God and love our neighbors. So thank you, Alex. Thanks for the work that you're doing and just a great privilege to be with you today. Well, appreciate what you're doing and hope to be in connection with Hope International more often since we're here in uh, Pennsylvania together. But wherever you are, thanks for listening today. In fact, shout out to our listeners. You know who you are. We can't get into specifics because of security, but in Malaysia, uh, we we learned recently of a significant uh, group of people doing work for the Lord in Malaysia. And so hats off to you. Thank you for being a part of this podcast family. And again, if this is a blessing to you, leave a positive rating and review. Also share it with a friend. Uh, You know, we're not trying to get in front of millions of people. We realize that uh, the topic of missions and and theological truth, all of that, that's a niche topic, right? And so we're not going to be exploding in growth, but man, we want to go deep with those that can be blessed by this content. And so we appreciate you being with us on the show here today. And you can get more content at missionspodcast.com. The Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. To learn more about ABWE, go to abwe.org. And until next week, thank you for listening.